what a special day. I want to thank all our veterans today for their service uh, for God and for this country. I want us to go to the Lord in prayer at this time before we turn the service over to Teresa to share the message today. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray for each and every one here today. But Lord, especially we pray for our veterans. God, maybe their, their time of service, their mission may be over. Geographically, they may be back home. But God, in their heart and their emotions and their mind, they may still be a long ways from home. They may still be battling. And God, I pray that you would, Lord, take care of our veterans. Take care of them in body, soul, and spirit. And God, truly, Lord, bring peace and comfort and wholeness to them. God, we thank you so much for our veterans today. And God, we ask that you would take this service today, Lord, as we realize, Lord, we're in your service. And God, that you would use us today. God, I pray that you'd anoint Teresa today to bring the word as she goes back to the book of Acts. And Lord, she applies it to this day, to this hour, to our hearts and our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you say amen? Amen. You're going to welcome Teresa today to the pulpit, our ladies' ministry. Good morning. Good morning. I'm glad that you all could be here on this Veterans Day. You know, a hundred years ago today, in the 11th hour, on the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918, the agreement was signed that ended World War I. And so now we call it Veterans Day, and we love our veterans around here. So I'd like to ask you this morning, if you're a veteran, if you would please stand and remain standing as, our, as some of our young people come to, to give you a gift. Look around, you guys. Look at all, the, all these veterans that we have in here this morning. Let's give them a round of applause. And in honor of Veterans Day this morning, I have asked Sergeant, Marine Corps Sergeant, Michael Keene, to give his testimony. So if you'll come at this time, Michael. And I have to say that, that Michael and his wife Natasha are near and dear to my heart because they were in the very first uh, group of youth that I had in youth ministry many, many years ago. <laughs> And, uh, and, and Michael and his brothers taught me right. They, <laughs> they, they broke me in right to youth ministry. But, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of Michael and the man that he's become. Roger and I uh, had the privilege of attending his uh, Marine Corps boot camp back in 2009 in South Carolina. And uh, I'm just so proud of him and the, the man that he is and the man that he's still becoming. And so welcome him this morning. Oh, I should give you a mic. <laughs> Push that. Yep. Testing. Yeah. Oh, it works this time. Okay. All right. So uh, I'm hopefully all cried out from first service, so I'll be able to get through this. Um, took a little bit longer because I decided to boo-hoo for a little bit. Uh, most of you guys know me. Like uh, Teresa said, my name is Michael. I've been going to this church for about 18 years now. Um, so uh, I was asked by Teresa today to come and give you guys my testimony and uh, let you guys know how... Uh, God used situations in my life, oh goodness, I'm, I'm going to ball this one too. Uh, God used situations in my life to uh, show me his love and his grace. So to start it off, I'll just start off at the beginning. My childhood was pretty mundane the first few years of my life. My mom and dad were together. Normal life, I had two brothers, and, that, and then, you know, we just went about our days. 
About the time I was five or six, my dad decided to split. Um, so my mom was tasked with raising myself, two brothers and a sister, all by herself. Um, I don't know how she did it. I'm a, I'm a grown man, and I don't think I could could handle uh, three boys within four years of each other all by myself. But uh, so she struggled, and so from the age of about five to six to about 13, uh, my mom made some poor choices, and, and uh, I suffered a lot of mental and mental and physical abuse. Um, around the around the age of 13, it brought me here to Crossville, Tennessee. I moved up here with my dad. Uh, my dad wasn't the greatest dad's either. Uh, he wanted to be more of a friend than a, than a father. Um, so I decided to uh, move up here and be with him because it was better than being down there with my mom. And uh, so he was married to a nice lady, and her family came here to church at Grace. And so reluctantly, as a teenage boy, I got drug along. And uh, I do remember my first, uh, first time here at the youth group. My brother Dennis was in the front row over there, and me decided to get in a fight with two other gentlemen right here in uh, good old Grace's uh, gymnasium. I don't know how uh, Teresa didn't just wash her hands of us right then and there and be done with us, but she didn't. She, uh, she stuck it out, so uh, here I am today. And uh, so uh, at that time, I was, I was 13. Me and my brothers came from the inner city of Jacksonville, Florida. We were pretty rough, pretty tumble, and uh, we headed down a really dark path. Uh, both of my brothers had already started messing around with drugs and alcohol, smoking cigarettes, and I wasn't far behind them. Um, so I kind of hung to the youth group, or I should say it hung to me, kept on to me, and didn't sorry, here they come. Uh, didn't, didn't let me stray too much. Um, uh, I found out who Jesus was and kind of did my walk. I did True Love Weights and, and uh, Winter Conference and Ski Invasion is what it was called back then, and and uh, I knew who Jesus was, and I had a, a deep understanding of who he was, and he, he really ran my life for most of my, most of my high school years. Uh, at the age of 17, though, my life took a really big turn. It turned me far away from God. Uh, at the age of 17, I was over at a friend of mine's house. We were uh, watching his dad's house that he had just bought, and uh, his brother was there with his boyfriend, who was a 40-year-old man. Um, and uh, while I was sleeping in the back room, uh, the 40-year-old man decided to come in and rape me. At 17, as you can uh, kind of idealize it, it definitely uh, gave me a very negative opinion of my life and of those around me. So uh, it put me very, very far from God. I started to abuse alcohol and um, let go of a lot of my Christian values. Um, at the age of 19, I moved back to, to uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And um, from there, I just went through a string of drinking and partying all the time and running around with random women, and nothing was going right for me. At the age of 20, almost 21, I, I woke up one day, and I'm out of money, out of a job, out of a place to live, sleeping on a friend of mine's couch with nothing to call my own. And so I decided that I was going to do something that I had thought about since I was about six years old and first heard of him, and I, I went down and talked to a Marine Corps recruiter. Uh, that, that moment, uh, three days later, I was on the Yellow Footprints in Paris Island. No idea what I'd got myself into. They're slapping me in a chair, buzzing all my hair off, telling me where to go, when to brush my teeth, when to shave, when I could go to the restroom, when I could sleep, when I could eat, when I could wake up, how to get dressed, when to get dressed. And if they didn't like how I did it, I did it a hundred other times. Grown men slapping you around, throwing you around really humbles a person. 
I turned 21 in boot camp, so that was also another very difficult thing to go through as one of my drill instructors was younger than I. So I got out of there, went straight to MOS school. Uh, that was in 2009. Got out of MOS school in December of 2009. Checked in my first unit in Savannah, Georgia, uh, to, uh, January 2009. Well, I happened to be the low man on the totem pole. So instantly, I'm on the next deployment. That deployment starts in February of 2009. So I start pre-deployment. I come up here to Crossville, Tennessee, where my brothers and my dad were, because I wanted to say, you know, spend a little time with my, my family before I shipped off. Uh, at that time, me and my now wife, Natasha, uh, we, we start dating again. We had dated in high school before, and so we just started to date again. And uh, we got engaged. Figured if she could handle a deployment, she could handle just about anything I could throw at her. And uh, I don't know why, she, she decided to take round two, so here we are. And... Uh, so I went to Afghanistan, not knowing what was going to, you know, come of me. I thought I was going to be Rambo. I was going to go over there, just blow up everything, kill a bunch of people, come back, a war hero, and everything was going to be great. Uh, little did I know that, that my time in Afghanistan was going to be the, the toughest time I would face. Uh, the toughest time I would face in my life. Um, while I was over there, uh, it really, uh, really questioned my, my Christianity and my salvation is, I saw the best and the worst of humanity all in the same time. I saw the people over there with a general love for each other and a general understanding of what the Christian values were, even though they weren't Christian. The God they prayed to may have a different name, but the values they hold dear are the same. And at the same time, I'm watching Satan and the destruction that he can create. I'm watching people die, things get destroyed, and young men giving their life for a cause that Many of us don't even understand. I remember holding kids' heads, and when I say kids, I'm talking 18-year-old boys. I remember holding their heads as they gave their last breath. I remember shipping many, many people out on, on helicopters and caskets with draped with the flag. I lost many friends over there, and I've made many friends since then. When I came back, I struggled still to this day with PTSD. And I came back to a world that had, I had no idea how to fit in, nor did it have any idea how to take me in. Me and my wife struggled for many years deciding what to do. I couldn't relate to her. She couldn't relate to me. One day, sitting on the bed, we both looked at each other, and we both decided that we need to come back to church. We hadn't been tithing. We hadn't been coming to church. We hadn't been praying. So we decided we were going to do that. Hasn't been easy since then but I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, as, I, as I go on struggling with PTSD every single day and adjusting to, to life here back in the States, uh, about a year, about uh, April or May of this year, I, I gave my life up and told God that wherever he wanted me to be, that's where I was going to go. So, sure enough, he keeps pushing me to go talk to Jessica and Jeff about joining the youth team. Back to where it all started, back to where God fixed a broken young man. So, reluctantly, God put it on their heart to take me in. And so, ever since then, I've made it my mission, made it my mission to show the youth that God doesn't just wait at the doors of this church every day for them. He's not just here on Sundays and Wednesdays. He's there every day, in your lowest of lows, in your highest of highs. He walks with you. He rejoices when you're great. 
and he holds your hand and mourns for you when you're at the bottom. I just want everybody to know that God loves them and that he's there with them every moment of every day. Thank you. Less tears in the first one. I love you. You did good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Michael, for sharing your testimony. I know that there's a lot of people in here that can relate to a lot of the things that you've been through. And I, I thank you for being brave enough to share all that because our testimonies are powerful. Our testimonies impact people. And um, I just thank him for doing that. I, was, I told him in the first service, I was reminded when I saw my Bible up here, when Michael was in Afghanistan, he was able to call home every now and then. And I was able to get one of those calls. And I asked him, I said, Did, do, do you have your Bible? And he said, well, my Bible got messed up on the plane right over. I said, okay, I'm going to send you a Bible. And so this is my Bible, and it's my favorite Bible. And so this is what I sent him was one just like this. And he got it, and he was like, um, Teresa, I wanted like something. Maybe I could stick it in my pocket and take out into the field with me. And, and I'm like, but Michael, that, that Bible will take a bullet. <laughs> oh, we're thankful that he's here with us. Um, we're going to be continuing on in the book of Acts this morning, and uh, I'm just amazed at how the Lord works because I knew that I was going to have these chapters. I knew this was what I was going to be speaking about today, and I knew it was going to be Veterans Day, and so that can be a bit of a challenge, you know, working and staying with the text, but also incorporating Veterans Day into that, and the Lord just, when I was, when I was studying, he just opened this up to me and just showed me really, you know, what he wanted the message to be. My husband, Roger, he was in the military, he was in the Navy, and uh, he's been reading and studying along with me, and he's been calling me going, now, did you see this? Now, did you, now you got to include that, and what about this? Now, don't forget to say this. And it's just been really neat how this has come together. But um, we're going to be in Acts chapters 21 through 23 this morning, and for the sake of time, I'm going to uh, summarize a lot of it for you, but I really encourage you to go back and read it because there's a lot of good stuff in there. It's a, it's a great story. But as we pick up in chapter 21, Paul is on a ship, not a cruise ship. He's on a, on a cargo ship, most likely, and he's headed to Jerusalem. And if you remember over in Ephesians, or not in Ephesians, in Acts 20, uh, Paul said, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race. I'm sorry, my computer's running slow this morning. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So Paul knows that his time in Jerusalem is not going to go well. He doesn't know exactly what's going to happen to him, but he knows that he, you know, he may be beaten, he may be arrested, he may be killed. He doesn't really know. But what he does know is that he wants to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So whatever that may bring, that's okay with him. And so it makes me think about our veterans today the, because you all so diligently prepared for battle and, and chose 
to, to, to go into the military, to serve our country, knowing that that could mean war. And for many of you, it did mean war. And knowing that war could mean death or it could mean serious injury. But yet you were still ready to move forward for our nation. You know, our nation isn't just a place on the map. Our nation is people. It's the people, one nation under God, right? And the, the, these soldiers stepped forward and said, here I am. You know, send me. I'm ready. And that's just like Paul in our text today. We find Paul saying, I'm ready. You know, whatever happens, whatever it takes, I'm ready for the mission, the mission of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's just like they sang about this morning in that song, you know, I will trust in you. If you don't move the mountain, I'm wanting you to move. If you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. I will trust in you. And that, that was Paul. That was Paul fully. And he, he, he charges ahead boldly with his mission. And the people are worried about him. The people are telling him not to go. And I know that some of our military had those same experiences where people are crying and they're praying and they're begging you not to go. But Paul goes. He goes. And we pick up in our, in our text in Acts chapter 21, verse 10. It says, several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But he said, why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we could not persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. And so we have Paul here. You know, why would God send Paul to Jerusalem just to be tortured, just to be beaten? You know, we know now that through this series of circumstances, he was able to witness to people in very high places. He was able to share the gospel, and many people were saved because of it. He was able to share the gospel with people that he wouldn't have normally had access to. And so we know that God had a plan in all that, but even at the time, Paul didn't know that. He didn't know that. He only knew that God wanted him to go, and he was going. In verse 15, it says, After this, we packed our things and left for Jerusalem. Some believers from Caesarea accompanied us, and they took us to the home of Manasseh, a man originally from Cyprus and one of the early believers. When we arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. The next day, Paul went with us to meet with James, and all the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things that God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. After hearing this, they praised God, and then they said, You know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed, and they all follow the law of Moses very seriously. But the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told that you are teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the law of Moses. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or follow other Jewish customs. What should we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. 
Here's what we want you to do. We have four men here who have completed their vow. Now, this vow was a Nazarite vow. And so just like those of you here in the women's group, we talked about this this week. The Nazarite vow is uh, a vow that they take for a period of time, and they don't shave or cut their hair. They're not allowed to touch a dead body. Uh, they're not allowed to drink wine. And so these guys had completed that vow. And they said, go with them to the temple and join them in the purification ceremony, paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved. Because when they had completed their vow, they would have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that the rumors are all false and that you yourself observe the Jewish laws. As for the Gentile believers, they should do what we already told them in a letter. They should abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. So Paul went to the temple the next day with the other men. They had already started the purification ritual. So he publicly announced the date when their vows would end and sacrifices would be offered for each of them. And so Paul knows that these rituals that they're doing are not necessary. He knows that. But if you remember over in Corinthians, Paul said, I'll become all things to all people. And so that's what he was doing here. He submitted to the Jewish customs to keep the peace because it, 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 wasn't, worth, it wasn't worth arguing over. Because he knew that if going through these rituals gave him the opportunity to teach them about Jesus and not going through these rituals would keep him from teaching them about Jesus, then it was worth it, worth it to him to do it because it, it was a non-essential Okay, we talk a lot about essentials and non-essentials here at Grace. You know, in the essentials, we must have unity. In the non-essentials, we must have liberty. Okay, so in the essentials, in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's essential. You know, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's essential. All those things that we sang about in that song this morning, I believe those are essential. Okay, but non-essentials, things like what we wear to church, things like whether Christians can drink alcohol or not drink alcohol, things like uh, the color of the carpet in the sanctuary, what version of the Bible you read, these are things that churches split over. And they're non-essentials. They're non-essentials in the, in the, in the, in the essentials, we must have unity. In the non-essentials, we must have liberty. The devil uses those non-essentials to cause disruption and to cause arguments. Okay, we see this in our nation today. The devil seeping in to distract us and to distract our focus. Okay, he does that with our leaders. He distracts them and brings their focus onto something that's not as important as these big things that are going on. But we all look that way because the devil is good at that. He's really good at that. But in the essentials, you must never, ever, ever waver from the essentials. But in the non-essentials, we have liberty. So, for example, if, uh, if you believe, whether you're a Christian or not, if you believe that Christians should not drink alcohol, okay, that's, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't believe that it's a sin for a Christian to drink alcohol, but you might, okay? That, that's my opinion, and so your opinion may differ from mine. But if I know that you believe that, if I know that you believe it's a sin, then it would be wrong for me to go out to dinner with you and order a beer or a glass of wine. Because that would, 
that, that would keep me from being able to share my faith with you. And in so doing, I would be putting my love for alcohol above my love for God and his mission. And we can't do that. So what happens next is that some Jews, they, they say that Paul took a Gentile into the temple, which would have been a big no-no, except that he didn't actually do that. But that's what they say that he did. And so this big mob of people comes in and attacks him. Okay, and they, I mean, they are all beating up one person. So I don't know if you've ever watched MMA, but uh, this, is, this is worse than that. Okay, they are all beating up, kicking, pulling hair, you know, with the intent of killing him. Okay, one defenseless person attacked by all these people. And so when the Roman uh, commander hears about this, he sends, in, he sends in his soldiers to go in and get him. All right, to go in and arrest him, to arrest Paul. Not the people that are beating up Paul. <laughs> Not this mob that's caused this riot and trying to kill a man. No, he sends them in to arrest Paul. And they actually, at this point, they have to carry him up on their shoulders to get him to safety because they're still trying to get at him and they're still trying to kill him. And so they get him to safety and what does he do? Does he, does he rest? No. Does he nurse his wounds? No. He actually asks to speak to them, to speak to the people that have just beaten him up. He has to speak to him, and, and they let him. They let him. So I can only imagine what this looked like at that point. You know, I picture Rambo after the, after the Apollo Creed fight. You know, I picture him standing up there with swollen black eyes and, and, and a busted lip and cuts and scrapes and dirt and sweat. I picture, you know, blood in his teeth. A, a horrendous sight. And he stands up here in front of these people who, are, who want to kill him, who have tried to kill him, and he stands up in front of them, and the first thing he says is, I used to be just like you. He relates to them. He says, I, just, I used to be just like you. I used to be so zealous for God that I killed Christians. Because that is who he used to be. Because these people, they worship God. They think that they're doing this in the name of God. They worship our God. They just don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so anybody that says that he is, they think is against God, and they're going to kill him. And Paul says, that's how I used to be. Before I, had, before I had this conversion on the road to Damascus. And I think in that moment that he actually felt sorry for them. He wasn't even distracted by, by what they had just done to him. He didn't let that sidetrack him from the mission of reaching people, all people, for Jesus Christ. He didn't let it throw him off his, his primary mission. In Acts 23, 11, it says, That night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Now, I imagine if I was Paul, that wouldn't be real encouraging to me. To be like, hey, guess what? Just like you went to Jerusalem, you're going to go to Rome. <laughs> oh, boy. You know, I mean, he's sitting there beaten and bruised, and I'm sure that he's wondering, okay, I'm sitting here in a Roman prison all beat up. 
and, and I'm supposed to go to Rome. And these guys, they, at this point, they have even, a large group of them have even taken a vow that they're not going to eat anything or drink anything until he's dead. So they're determined to kill him. So he's got to be thinking, as soon as I step foot out of this prison, they're going to attack me. Like, how in the world am I going to get to Rome? Right? It's 60 miles away. How am I ever going to make it to Rome? Well, look at what happens next. The uh, Roman commander Claudius Lysias hears about this. And so this is what he does. It says, Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, Get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine to nine. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. I mean, isn't the Lord funny the, the way he could have gotten Paul to Caesarea in so many different ways, but he, I mean, this is so much more than like a police escort. <laughs> this is an entire troop of, of soldiers surrounding him and just taking him to where he needs to be. I mean, they just delivered him like on a silver platter, right? From his enemies. Because God, God's ways are not our ways, but aren't they so much better? You know, it's just amazing to me. And Paul, he just kind of goes with the flow. He's just like, all right, you know, because he knows how important this is. A few weeks ago, Pastor Dennis pointed out that the apostles' willingness to die for their faith was a testimony to the truth of what they proclaimed. In other words, you don't die for a lie. You don't die for a lie. Paul embodies that even more than the, than the apostles did because he didn't walk and talk with Jesus. He persecuted Christians, and then he became one of the biggest defenders of the faith. Sometimes I think that the worst sinners make the best saints, right? He who has been forgiven much. But Paul definitely wasn't going through this for the, to, to make him feel good or to make him known. He was going through this because it was the truth. He was going through this because of the truth of the gospel. And so I asked today, like, how much are we willing to suffer for the gospel? And in comparison, do we really suffer at all? Because, I mean, it's not likely that we're going to get beat up for our faith, right? Especially beat up like Paul did. It's not likely that we're going to get our heads cut off for our faith, right? That, which, that was Paul's ultimate fate. That was how he died. What it does mean today is that people who don't love Jesus, people who don't have the faith and the belief that you have, they may make fun of you or they may not want to hang around you. But that's not a lot to face compared to what Paul did, right? And Paul said, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So in other words, you can please people or you can please God, but usually not both. So the question is, are you willing to suffer for the gospel? Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2, 3-4, Join with me in my suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, 
but rather tries to please his commanding officer like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. According to the Webster's Dictionary, a soldier is defined as an enlisted man or woman. And Paul said in several different places that we are soldiers of God. So when we become Christians, we're in the Lord's army. Okay, you're in the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army. Now, did any of you just flash back to Sunday school or to vacation Bible school to that song? I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, <laughs> shoot the artillery. I may never fly or the enemy. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. <laughs> right? I love that song. Now Emily wants me in the worship team, and I don't know what I'm going to do about that. But, <laughs> but you know, I know it's just a kid's song, and we're adults, right? But we're in the Lord's army, okay, even more so than ever before. We're in the Lord's army because we have an enemy, and he has declared war on God himself. And because he can't overcome God, he's going to kill, steal, and destroy everything that God loves. And that's us. He's going to try to. And that's us. So the bad news is there's a war going on. But the good news is God still has an army. The question is, are you in it? Are you in it? Because it's time to soldier up. We've been called to arms. We're soldiers for Christ. So let me tell you what makes a good soldier. A good soldier knows whose side he's on. Now, I know that sounds basic, but it's important. I was in a battle one time, and I forgot whose side I was on. We were playing paintball with the youth group. <laughs> and... Uh, and I, I had my gun. I was back there behind my barrier. I was all re- I fully loaded. I was ready. I was ready. And there's this thing called, we called it the snake. And Mary Kimbrough, if you're watching this, was out at Pop's place, out at, on Plateau Road. And, and, and there was this thing called the snake. And it was this wall that you could crawl behind. And Sam was back behind that wall. And he was crawling. And I could see him every now and then. His head would pop up. And I could see him. But I thought he was on my team. So I didn't shoot him. So he's, he's back there crawling around. He pops up. He shoots me. He wasn't on my team. He shot me in the mouth. And if you've ever played paintball and been shot in the mouth, it's not pleasant. It's disgusting because you have on this face mask, and uh, it has holes in it so that you can breathe. And if you want to get shot, you want to get shot in the face, in the face mask because it's one of the one places that doesn't hurt. It's alarming, but it doesn't hurt. But when you get shot in the mouth, the paint just flies straight into your mouth. And you can't pull your mask up and spit because, you know, the game's still going on. You'll get an eye knocked out, like literally knocked out. And the refs don't play around with that. They'll kick you out. You don't get to play for the rest of the day. So you can't pull it up and spit. So, you know, I'm just left there eating paint. And it was disgusting. It was gross because I forgot what team I was on. And it cost me my life in the game. But let's not do that in real life, okay? Don't forget which side you're on. You're on God's side. 
You're on his team. You want his plans and his purposes to play out in and through your life. And anything that's against God, anything that's opposed to God, that's what you're against. It's that simple, right? It's that simple, except that sometimes those lines get blurred. And so a good soldier maintains a constant state of readiness. His weapons are ready. He's all prayed up. He's got on that full armor of God. He's hidden the word of the Lord in his heart. He's joined a great team. And he's ready. And number three, a good soldier of Jesus Christ is motivated by the mission. He's motivated by the, by the mission. He doesn't always know the, the whys of everything that he's told to do, but he knows the overall mission. And for us, that overall mission is to reach other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we keep that in mind, if we keep that, that overall picture in mind, then, then, then our goal is to fight off the devil every step of the way, you know? To fight off his attempts of keeping us distracted, of causing us to be ineffective. You know, we don't always know the whys of every step. Paul didn't know why he was be, be, being sent to the places he was sent in the ways that he was being sent. He didn't know all the details, but he knew the big picture. He knew the greater cause. And so... Just like a good soldier obeys the orders of his commanding officer, we obey God without question because we understand the overall mission. I read that the Navy SEAL team that took out Osama bin Laden, that one of the messages after that happened, one of the messages that Navy SEAL Team 6 sent out was Charlie Mike, CM. Some of you veterans may know what that means. It stands for continue mission. Continue mission. Because they knew that even though this was a very important part of their mission, the mission was still not complete. There was, there was still things to be done, and they had to continue on. Because the, the greater mission was bigger than that moment. And so in that incredible, overwhelming moment, the message that went out was CM, Charlie Mike continue mission. You and I have a lifetime to Charlie Mike to continue our mission of reaching people for Jesus Christ. And one day we'll stand in front of our commander in chief, in front of our Lord and Savior, and he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that'll be a good day. But until then, Charlie Mike. Number four, a good soldier is willing to pay the price for victory. Our military knows that there's a price to be paid for soldiering. You know, time away from family, time away from the conveniences of home, you know, just the emotional and mental stress, losing a buddy in battle, even many times the price of victory is painful. But for all these years, American soldiers have soldiered on. Right? They've soldiered on. They make decisions in the heat of the battle and they press forward because one thing that they don't do is quit. 
They don't quit. They're willing to pay the price for victory if necessary. What if we were as passionate about the things of God? What if we were as, as, as disciplined in our training, as diligent, as purposeful in our training? What if, what if us ordinary, run-of-the-mill, everyday Christians would just soldier up? We could change the world. And I think that's what Paul exemplifies in these chapters. Have you ever heard of the Soldier's Creed? It's what our, our U.S. Army soldiers, they're, they're required to learn this and to live by this. They recite it at a different at a boot camp and at different ceremonies. And it, it's what they're required to live by. And I'd like to ask them to put that up at this time. Let's read this. It says, I am an American soldier. I am a warrior and a member of a team. I serve the people of the United States and live the Army values. I will always place the mission first. I will never accept defeat. I will never quit. I will never leave a fallen comrade. I am disciplined, physically and mentally tough, trained and proficient in my warrior tasks and drills. I always maintain my arms, my equipment, and myself. I am an expert, and I am a professional. I stand ready to deploy, engage, and destroy the enemies of the United States of America in close combat. I am a guardian of freedom and the American way of life. I am an American soldier. Can you imagine the passion and the pride? I heard some of it out here. The passion and the pride that they say that with. Proud to be an American soldier. It made me think, what if Christians had something like this? It would read something like this. I am a soldier for Christ. I am a Christian and a member of a team. I serve God and live by his values. I will always place his mission first. I will never give up. I will boldly declare his name. I am spiritually disciplined and mentally strong, trained and proficient in the word of God. I will strive to maintain my integrity and grow closer in my relationship with the Lord. I stand ready to serve my God and defend my faith. I am an ambassador of Jesus, and I am prepared to be his hands and feet. I am a soldier for Christ. Does it excite you to be a soldier for Christ? Because it excites me. It excites me to be on his team. You know, it's not easy to follow God. It's not easy to represent him well. But it's a lot easier for us than it was for Paul, right? And besides that, easy choices don't lead to great stories. Make the hard choices. Make the hard, choi hard choices. So in closing today, I'd like to challenge you to soldier up. To soldier up. To step up your training. To prepare for battle. To get in your Bible. To learn God's word. To pray. To connect to him. To establish that relationship with him. So that you can be prepared to go out and love people and serve people and witness to people and bring people over to our team. So that we can win the victory for our Lord and further the kingdom of God, because that's the mission. That's the mission. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for each person that's here today. Lord, I thank you for our veterans. 
I thank you that they were willing to step up and stand up for our nation. And Lord, I pray for each Christian soldier in here this morning. Lord, that you will empower us to go out and fight this battle. Lord, that you will prepare us, that you will pour into us so that we can pour out to others. Lord, we're ready to soldier up. And if there's one here in this room this morning, Lord, that has not joined your army, Lord, that if, if there's anybody here that needs to accept you as their Lord and Savior this morning, Lord, I pray that they will, that they will take that great step. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you. We praise you for your word. We thank you for the example that Paul has set for us. Lord, in everything we say and everything we do, may we glorify you because we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.